0: All right, we're in part two of a series called Why God? And we're addressing some important issues. And uh, let me just tell you ahead of time, and I shared this last week, but this is like one long sermon that lasts for seven weeks, seven to eight weeks. And we're just breaking them up into small sections. Last week, we had a little intro, okay? And this week, we're kind of transitioning from intro to talking about the issue. And then the next coming weeks, we have solutions. So today, you might leave feeling kind of like off put, um, you're like, I wish I had an answer for that. That's coming later, okay? And as a matter of fact, this week might be a little jarring for you. Next week, you might feel even more uncomfortable. Um, and some of you guys like that. And I don't know why, but you guys like that. So when I, when I end up sharing things that kind of you know, bother you, you come up to me and say, like, Pastor, that was a great sermon. And it's like, okay, I'll just make you feel, feel uncomfortable every week. Um, but this week uh, we 're going to be talking about some interesting things, but I want to start off with this question right here: Has the church done an adequate job of strengthening your faith? I know I love to hear that the yes, you know the the positive, the affirmative. but the answer I want like like so if we were to do our job as strengthening your faith, right? then that means if you're a high school student, by the time you leave to go to college and you're away from school, away from home, away from church, when you get to school, then you should have a stronger faith because now you're living, you know, you're living according to what you truly believe in. You're making decisions based on those decisions you made younger, when you were younger. But statistics show that it's ex- the exact opposite. Only about one in five stick to their faith and everybody else just leaves. And this isn't just for students. We are learning this about adults too. And last week we talked about the the staggering stats that that when it comes to our faith, when we, when it comes to America nationwide in America, we learned that about thirty three percent of Americans uh, Americans who go to church are now leaving the church to be called a nun, not a nun like N U N. You know that might be an interesting story, but N O N E S. Like when there is like a checkbox of which religion you really affiliate with, there's a bottom box that says none of the above and People who used to be part of a church, 33% of them start checking that box. In the last few years, that number has gone up drastically. And so what we want to do is we thought we did a good job of, of strengthening your faith. And, but, but, the, but the truth is we thought we did, but it wasn't good enough. We thought we did it. We wasn't good enough. And so this is how the story usually goes. And I looked at a lot of stories about deconversion. I looked at a lot of stories, personal stories, that people shared with me. Cots, you know, I, I used to go to church, but not anymore. And this is what I've discovered, okay? Because most of the stories are not that original. This is how it usually goes. You grew up in church or you started going to church in high school or junior high or whatever you started going to church, you thought you had everything that it took. And so you, you went to school and then, and then uh, something happened or someone shared something with you that just shook you. And at that point, you're like, oh, my childhood faith is being shaken. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with it. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a professor. Maybe it was a friend. They said something to you, and they questioned your faith. And then you're like, okay, I have questions now. I'm really struggling with my faith. I need to go and talk to somebody about it. So maybe you talk to your pastor. Maybe you talk to your youth leader. Maybe you talk to your life group. And when you talk to them about these things, they give you answers that are not convincing enough. And the reason is because of this. Because the church, they gave you faith-based answers for a fact-based question. So somebody says, hey, I, I was reading this book, and my, my teacher told me about this thing called evolution. You know, and somebody told me that Christians don't believe that stuff. Is that true? And if, you're, if you know what you're talking about, then you would actually give a fact-based answer. You would say, actually, as a matter of fact, evolution is an optional belief system that you you're like – like, if you're a Christian, you could believe in evolution and still be a Christian. If you don't believe it, that's fine. You still be a Christian because Christianity is about following Jesus. It's not about where you stand on issues like evolution, how long did it take for the world to be formed, or, you know. It, like, those things are side things. The main thing is about Jesus. But a lot of times, we're given faith-based answers for a fact-based question. And so you're like, this isn't, this is, this isn't really resting well with me. What do I do about this? And the thing is, if you grew up in church, you know your Bible verses. You know how to answer some questions by quoting Bible verses. But when you talk to people who don't believe in the same things that you do, giving Bible verses is not good enough, right? If somebody says, what makes you so special? And you say, well, because according to the Bible, it says, and they're like, I don't believe in the Bible. Why are you quoting Bibles? You know, you're like, well, that's the only arsenal I have to combat where you're just telling me, so I don't know. And you realize that your faith-based answers aren't good enough anymore. So what do you do? Well, like I said, statistics show that over the past few years, people started saying this, that I don't believe anymore. And I don't believe anymore is not bad. Having doubt is not a bad thing, okay? But my issue is a step after that, when you stop saying, I don't believe anymore, and you get to the point where you say, I can't believe anymore. I can't believe it. I tried my hardest. I gave, it, I gave Christianity the benefit of the doubt. I did my best. And I, I, I just got to the point where I just can't believe it anymore. I can't lie to myself anymore. So the question is, what do we do? What do we do? And this is a very important question to ask because... because For us as Christians, we don't just do good things for the sake of doing good things. We do good things because we believe in a good God and because there's a good God and being in relationship with a good God requires us to become people who are transformed and do good things in this world. We don't just do good things because it's good. We do good things because we have a relationship with a good God. So if people take that foundation away from us, from you, from your family. Then the question comes up why do we do the things that we do so we want to make sure that we address this issue now when i look at all these stories of people who step away from the faith they usually come down to two problems and i want to share with you the reasons for leaving usually these are two problems usually number one is that they have a problem with god and today we're going to focus on that and then there is the second which is how the bible is used and we'll talk about that next week and that one next week it's going to rub a lot of people especially christians the wrong way okay so make sure you're here for that because i'm gonna offend you next week um but this week i'm just gonna offend you slightly and that's gonna be the problem with god because a lot of people have a problem with god and part of the reason for why we have a problem with god is because our understanding of god is not mature okay and you're like whoa 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 you know i read the bible every day what do you mean it's not mature i don't know you might actually be mature but everybody else around you might not be i don't know right whatever the case is okay but the problem with god this is what i mean by this i'm going to show you a quote from a person Uh, she used to be a nun n-u-n from the roman catholic church and then she stepped away because she couldn't believe anymore and then, so she became a N-O-N-E, nun. So she went from nun to nun. Okay, and then now she's somewhere in between. She's kind of finding her faith again. She's an amazing speaker. She's had some TED Talks. Her name is Karen Armstrong. This is a quote from one of her books called The Case for God. He says, many of us have been left stranded with the incoherent concept of God. We learned about God at about the same time we, learned, we were told about Santa Claus. And for most of you guys, that's true right? Your parents taught you and here's Santa Claus and here's Jesus. And you're like, oh, okay, so they're one and the same. Like, "Uh, okay, let's keep going. But while our understanding of Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, meaning eventually we grew out of it, we we started understanding more about who Santa is and that I'm making sure there's no kids in here while I say this. Oh, (laughs) Paul's pointing at you, Bruce. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay, I'm going to leave Santa as the way it is. Okay. But our theology remains somewhat infantile, meaning while we grow up and we start to understand more about Santa and how he plays into our lives, our understanding of God, whatever we were taught as kids, just kind of stayed the same. And Karen Armstrong says it's infantile. Those are strong words. Next. Not surprisingly, when we attain intellectual maturity, that means you get smarter, many of us reject the God we had inherited and denied that he exists. Now, this is really interesting. This is what she's saying. If this is your belief of Santa, and this is your belief of God, right? As children, we both learn about them. And then, as we start to understand more and more about Santa, we outgrow Santa. We're like, oh, Santa? Yeah, oh, whatever, you know, Like we know that this is something that, I'm not gonna finish that sentence. Okay, but when it comes to God, this understanding of God never grows up, but our intellect keeps on growing, and after a while, you look back and say, Oh, I think I've outgrown God, because some of the I have to perform mental gymnastics in order to convince myself that He's real, and a lot of you maybe have been to this place or maybe you're in that place right now where you're like, I don't know if God is real, and to be honest, I'm playing along with everybody else because if I just say no to God, then I might lose all my Christian friends. So I, I, you know, like, Karen Armstrong is saying. We have not grown in our theology. We have not grown in our understanding of who God is. As we grow up intellectually, our understanding of God should also deepen and grow intellectually just in the same way that, that you know, the smarter we get, the bigger God should get. But in the world that we live in right now, our understanding of God just stays stagnant. And so when you go to college, when you go talk to somebody that's smart or somebody who's actually read a few books and you talk about God, they, they laugh at you because they're like, oh, you still believe in that fairy tale? You believe in that myth? And you don't have a comeback except to quote a few verses. And to them, verses don't matter because to them, the Bible is just a book of collection of mythologies, right? So the question here is, what do we have to do? And Karen Armstrong, and I shared this diagram last week, okay, if this is our faith, right here, right, that a lot of times when we're challenged, when our intellect outgrows our faith, what ha- actually happens is this. He, you walk away from faith and you go to atheism. You say, you know what? I can't believe in this stuff anymore. I'm just going to walk away. What Karen Armstrong is saying is the opposite. What she's saying is this. Next slide. When you are here and you have doubt, you're actually supposed to be walking to a greater, bigger understanding of your faith called Faith 2.0. That's my term, Faith 2.0. Right? And so that's what this series is about. We've been talking about how do we, when we're challenged on certain things, not move towards atheism, we talked about that last week, but we actually move towards a deeper understanding of faith. How do we do that? And so in the nicest way, with the nicest intention possible, I want to lovingly say this, that it's time for us, for our understanding of God to mature it's time for us to deepen our understanding of God. Because our understanding of God that we learned in Sunday school, like I said, Sunday school, not a bad thing. I'm glad that my kids are in Sunday school right now. Okay, I'm glad that they're learning some of the lessons that I'm saying that we need to outgrow from. But at their age, that's what they need to learn. Okay, at our age, you know, high school and older, it's time that we mature in our understanding of God. Because if we don't, we will outgrow our understanding of God, and God is thinking like, guys, there's so much more in me to discover. You only know this much about me, and you think you've outgrown me? Really? Well, maybe it's time that we grow, and now let me just say this first, okay? This is completely our fault. This is the church's fault. It's not your fault. It's because we as pastors haven't done a good job of communicating to you about this deeper understanding of faith, And, you know, one of the things, and not to justify why we've done what we've done so far, is that we have new people and older people, people who've been in the church for 20 years, and we have people who are just starting their faith. And when when we look at the bigger group, we're like, where do we begin? How do we preach the gospel to you guys while stimulating the minds of people who've been in church for a long time, but at the same time making it easy enough for people who are just being introduced to the faith, right? But today what we're going to do, okay, is we're going to be talking to the people more on the side that's been part of our faith for a long time. If this is your first time coming to church, you could follow along. Maybe you're fast enough to jump from, you know, like stage two on, right? That's totally cool. But I think we've been in stage one for too long. And so today we're going to jump and talk about what needs to be talked about. And when we do that, what we're going to do is that we're going to take um, your faith 1.0 and we're going to destroy it. That's what we're going to do today, okay? So because when people say things like, like, I can't be a part of the church anymore. I have to leave God now because I don't believe in God. God is so, you know, like, I, I outgrown God. It's because our understanding of God is something that does not exist in the Bible. So I'll give, you, I'll give you a few examples today, and maybe you can relate with some of these versions of God that are not real. Okay, so for example, okay? The first one, Childhood God, is called the Good for Good God. Now, these are titles I came up with. These are my labels. You, don't, you can come with their own. Um, it just so happens that halfway through the list, I realized that everything starts with a G. So you're like, why did he use that word? It's because it starts with the letter G. So it's easy to remember, okay? The first one is called the good for good God. This God does not exist. This is what I mean by good for good God. You believe that only good things happen to good people and only bad things happen to bad people, and that's because God is making it happen that way. That God does not exist. Because I know a lot of people who said, you know, Kotz, I, I, you know, um, there's this guy who's a really good guy, and now this guy has cancer. And this guy, he just he went broke. Oh, you know, so-and-so ruined his life or whatever. I, if God is so good, how come he didn't? You know, like, this, this is not right. You know, God must not be real, right? You believe that God doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people, and you're like, and when that happens, remember, that's their central belief of who God is. That's what you learn in kindergarten. That's what you learn in elementary school. And, and you're so stuck on that that when something else happens outside of that bubble, you believe, oh, uh, Atheism, here I come, because God is not real because bad things just happen to good people. Let me tell you this first, okay? Nobody nowhere has ever made this argument. A good God would not allow bad things to happen to good people, and since good things only happen to good people, God is real. Nobody has ever made that argument. Nobody. But for some reason, deep down inside, I think some of us actually submit to that, that, that ideal, right? Now, did you know okay, that Christianity was founded on the principle of something really, really bad happening to a good, the most good person ever called Jesus, right? If this was truly to be believed, if this is what you believe about God, Christianity would not have survived past the first day. As a matter of fact, the first 300 years of Christianity, Christians were being persecuted for following Jesus. These are people who are trying to do good things in the world and the Roman Empire was trying, they were trying to shut, shut them down Christianity was founded on bad things happening to good people. And I don't know how we came to this idea that only good things happen to good people. If you want to look in the Old Testament, there's a whole book called the Book of Job that is all about why is something bad happening to this good guy, Job? And I understand where that thought might come from. I'm about to get a little nerdy right now, okay? In the beginning parts of the Bible, so we're talking about the first five books and a little bit more after that, Scholars typically call that the Deuterol historic narratives. Okay, Deuterol, you know, it'll make you sound smart if you share it, say that and like, drop it in a sentence somewhere, right? Like you think I'm smart enough for saying that. Okay, those books there, okay, they follow this interesting pattern where. When you think bad things are happening, there's, there's a bad person in the story, God brings something bad to that person. So everything fits right into the categories that we wish them to fall into, right? But then as we move into the middle of the Bible, which we call the wisdom literatures that we're talking about, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, when we get to those books, all of a sudden the categories are flipped upside down. Like, why are bad things happening to good people? Why are bad things happening to good people? And as a matter of fact, in the book of Job, the story goes like this. Job loses everything. He loses his family. He loses his possessions. And people start accusing him that you must have done something wrong because God wouldn't allow these bad things to happen to a good person. So my only way to justify this is that you're not a good person, Job. That's what the story is about. And these, his friends come by and tries to play detective. Ah, I think I know you did something bad. And then Job has these cool answers like, well, if that were true, that guy down the street lives a worse life than I do, but he, look, he looks happy, so that's definitely not true. You know, like, they go back and forth. It's, it's like two chapters of, of story, and then after is, like, just dialogue and dialogue. It's really fun. You should take a look at it. It's a long book to read. Okay, all right. So this idea that good things happen to only good people and that God is a, is a God that only allows good things to happen to good people, that God does not exist. Good for a good God does not exist. If you have lost faith in a good for a good God, that's good because that is a very, very, according to Karen Armstrong, infantile understanding of who God is. And I might just have offended some people, okay? But I got a few more. If that didn't offend you, I have a few more. Okay, so next one. We call this the genie God. The genie God. Genie God, and you could probably guess what that is, is that when you pray for somebody, when you ask God for something, and we're not just talking about giving you a new car, we're talking about selfless, self-sacrificial, loving request for somebody else, not even for you, and when God doesn't answer your prayer the way that you want him to, then you're like, uh, God must not be real. Like, there was somebody who was sick, and you prayed for that person. And not only did the person get sicker, the person actually passed away. Yeah. And at that point, you're like, I, I, I don't believe in God anymore. Well, the question is this. When and who taught you that God will always answer your prayers in the way that you want him to answer it. As a matter of fact, in the wisdom literatures I talked to you about earlier, this is Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This is an observation that one of the wisest people in the world made about God when he was praying to God, asking him for something. This is what he says. This is chapter 5, verse 2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. He's like, when you ask him for stuff, slow down. Don't be quick to ask him for things. Why? because God is in heaven and you are on earth. This is a perspective thing. He's like, you only know what's around you. God sees everything, everything from the smallest things to the greatest things. He sees everything, right? So when you ask him for something, he says, just remember that God is in heaven, you are on earth. And then he says, so let your words be few. He's like, you don't need to ask him for everything that you think is going to be best for the world. I think this will be best for this world. It'll be best for this country if this happened. It'll be best for this country if this happened. And you're asking God for 10 million things. And the wisest person at the time who wrote this, he says, when you pray, maybe you should spend more time listening to God than asking for things. Why? Because God is not your genie. If God... Responded to every single one of your prayer requests with yes, and I'll do it exactly as you asked me to do it What kind of world would we live in right now? Some of you who are much much older you are like I'm so glad God didn't answer my prayer requests when I was a teenager If, if God answered all my prayers in the way that I wanted him to when I was a teenager Oh boy, my life would be so ruined right now If you are the kind of person that put your faith in a genie God and he didn't come through for you and now you lost faith in him that's okay because there is no genie God if you walked away from Christianity from your faith because you lost faith in a genie God that's good because it's time that we grow out of that now I'm not saying we shouldn't ask God for things sometimes by asking for things he reveals to us what we really should be asking for and that's that's even better and that's how we grow so, genie God, if you lost faith in him, maybe that's good. If you left Christianity for that, maybe we left Christianity needlessly. Third category of gods that might offend you, the goosebumps God. Not the scary stories that you read as a kid, okay? No, no, no. This is the kind where you're, you're you know, this is maybe when you were a teenager, or maybe you were at a retreat or something, and you're worshiping God, and you feel God, like, ooh, goosebumps, ooh, I feel him right now. The Holy Spirit's strong today, Right? okay and you're like i know god is real because i felt him i felt him i just felt like this is so good i heard his voice i you know whatever your experience is you're like this is good and i don't want to downplay any of that that was definitely real for you and that's definitely what you needed in your life at the time but if we get hooked on that version of god then one day when you stop feeling him like you're in worship service and you're singing songs and the person next to you is like "Mm, jesus i feel you i feel you and you're standing there like i don't feel him anymore Maybe he's left me. Maybe he's not in my life anymore. Oh, I need to, right? And then you start walking away from the church because you're like, I don't feel God anymore. Well, what we need to remember is this, that feelings should never be used as proof for God's involvement in your life. God could be working 24-7 all that he can to make sure that you're on the right track and all along you couldn't feel him. It doesn't mean that just because you don't feel him doesn't mean that he's not involved in your life. When I think about some of the greatest like, heroes of our faith, people who've taken this idea of Christianity and taken it as far as they can to do good in this world, I think of this one person, and you probably heard of her before. Her name is Mother Teresa. And you probably read somewhere that towards the end of her life, she kind of started doubting her faith. And I would say that that's kind of overstating it. If you read it in context of the interview, you'll know that that's not what she really meant. But I want to show you a quote from that interview, what she said about her, her faith. This is what she said jesus has a very special love for you and that's good right as for me the silence and the emptiness is so great that i look and do not see listen and do not hear this great powerful hero of 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 my generation at least of faith is saying sometimes i don't feel god sometimes i don't see him sometimes i don't hear him sometimes it's just dark sometimes it's just silence but you see, she doesn't stop right there because the interview goes on, right? And the question is, well, what do you do? And so another person came to interview. this is around the same time, this guy named John Kavanaugh, not related to the other Kavanaugh, right? He shows up and, gives, and he's a professor of philosophy and theology and he, he has an interview with Mother Teresa and this is how that goes. Mother Teresa says this, how can I pray for you? Kavanaugh says, pray that I have clarity. And she said, that I will not do. Kavanaugh says, I don't understand. Why not? Her response, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. And then Kavanaugh responds by saying, well, you always seem to have clarity, Mother Teresa. And her response, I have, ne- I ha- have never had clarity. What I have always had is, oh, wh- whatever, okay, is trust. 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 So I will trust. uh, So I will pray that you trust God. You see, faith 1.0 is about feeling. Oh, I felt him. I just felt him. Oh, this feels okay, okay, okay. And when you start not feeling him anymore, your faith starts to wane away at the same time. But what Mother Teresa is saying here is, if you are in faith 2.0, your faith is not best. Is not based on a goosebumps God. It is based on a God that you trust that even when you don't feel him or see him or, or know what he's doing, you know that he's still there with you, that he's directing you. So if you are the person who based your entire, soul, your, your entire life, your belief system on this goosebumps God and you can't feel him anymore and that's why you walked away from your faith, maybe you walked away from your faith needlessly. Maybe you walked towards atheism, but maybe you should have been walking the other way towards faith 2.0 where it's based on trust, not just feeling. Let's go to the fourth one. I believe it's the fourth one, right? Yeah. (laughs) Guilt God. Now, this guilt God is when you're having a good time and you feel bad about yourself because you're having a good time because you think God is judging you. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're like, ooh, I'm laughing at a joke. Oh, wait, I shouldn't be laughing at a joke because God must be saying that's a sin or something. And, And the thing about this, okay, of all the ones I'm talking about today, this one is the hardest to get rid of. Maybe you're having a fun time with your friends and you just can't have a good time because you feel like like God is judging you, that God is saying, no, 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 that's too much fun, stop right there. And I've heard people say that before. Some people who got married saying like, I can't enjoy my marriage because I feel like God is judging me for having too much fun. And I'm like, where did that come from? Guilt God. It's the hardest thing to get rid of because every once in a while you feel like something has to be earned. You have to work towards something to earn something. When God says, I love you for just the way you are, you're like, no, 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 I gotta work towards it. Because it came too easy. It's like you don't have to work anymore. You could just relax. You could just enjoy the presence of God. No, 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 no. I need to serve. I have to do something at church. I gotta wake up early in the morning and pray ten times before I eat breakfast. Because unless I do that, God's not gonna have favor on me. It's like no, no, no. You could just relax. And for those of you who left faith because you believed in a guilt God, when you lived through faith, you felt liberated. You're like, oh, I feel like a whole ton of weight just came off my shoulders oh i'm so glad i left the church oh i feel so good whoa i feel freedom right and i don't i don't i i think that's okay uh if if church has been weighing you down if your version of god has been made made you feel so like i can't do anything without i can't enjoy life anymore then maybe you have the wrong version of god that god really wants to set you free he wants, to, he wants you to dance because you're so free to experience the love of God, right? Instead, you're like, uh, no, I don't deserve this love because you know You know what I did today? I sinned, I sinned, I sinned, I sinned, I sinned. I sinned so many times today. There's no reason why you would love me. That's the guilt God's speaking to you. And it's so hard to let go of it because in the New Testament, Jesus says, I have come here to set you free. You are now free to do whatever you want. And when you can do whatever you want, my hope is that with the freedom I just gave you, that you use it to serve the world, serve the Lord, care for the people who need caring in all those things and be generous and love one another. Instead, we, we flog ourselves. I need to feel some pain and that's the way I'm going to connect with God or whatever the case may be. I don't know what your story is. But if this is the reason you lift your faith, if this is the reason why you said, I can't believe in God anymore because it's not good for my soul, then maybe it's time that we throw that God away, and it's hard to get rid of. It keeps popping up in your life. It's time to let go of that and move your way over to who God really is. (laughs) Okay, here's the last one. This one I'm going to spend more time on. This is called the gap God. Gap God. Again, this is one of those examples where I had to make it start with a G, and so it doesn't make sense if you just read it. This is what I like to call the anti-science God. For a long time in history, Whenever there was something that was unexplainable and there was a gap, we filled it with God. Like, hey, there's an earthquake, what happened? God must be angry. But later on, through science, we discover that there is actually science behind it. There's actually a reason why it happens. It actually, in some cases, like weather and so you know, when people used to think that weather was all God's doing, people were able to now, with science, predict with fair amount of certainty, sometimes they're way off, right, <laughs> Right? what's going to happen in the next few days, Right? And as we start to fill these little gaps with, with science instead of God, you start feeling there's some, some, some battle happening. Science versus God. Who's going to win, you know? And tune in next Wednesday when science and God go into the ring and they punch it out. It's like, who's going to win? And, and we don't like that stuff. A lot of you guys believe in the gap God. You say, I, my faith is found in Jesus and in God, right? And the only enemy of God and Jesus, at this, according to this worldview, is science, right? Because I like to explain everything with God. And when science fills in that role, I feel kind of uneasy. Okay, remember last week we talked about some atheists? Uh, One of them, Richard Dawkins, this is his quote. This is what he says. One of the truly bad effects of religion is that it teaches us that it is a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. And it's so true. That a lot of times when we believe in God and and we fill in these gaps with God, we're kind of like, I'm okay with that. I don't need to look into it anymore. I'm actually satisfied with that answer. Let's stop studying science because we're okay with it. And uh, I'm just being facetious here, but, but that's the general attitude that Richard Dawkins isn't happy about, and quite frankly, I'm not happy about. Now, the next line might bother you a little bit, but let's, let's read it. <laughs> when you have a conflict between science and theology, in most cases, you have a theology problem Not a science problem. You have a theology problem. Your understanding of God needs to mature, not that science has to change its position. And this is a big deal. And I know that most of us believe this already, even though you're like, I don't know if I believe it. Trust me. For example, if my son gets sick, or your kids get sick, or you get sick, and you don't know what's going on, so you take him to the ER. And you go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, oh, let me check him out. Oh, okay, okay. You know what? I'm going to draw some blood. We're going to take it into the lab and see what's going on, right? And so you do that, and you're waiting, you're waiting, waiting, and the lab results come back. What do you want your doctor to tell you? Do you want the doctor to come to you and say, you know, Cos, we looked at the blood samples, and what we discovered is that I think God is trying to teach you a very strong lesson right here. Or do you want him to say, this is your diagnosis. This is how you cure this, right? Like we believe in science we love science we love medicine we love the technological advances that people have i love my cell phone okay for me to say that everything that we don't understand is as of god right it kind of stunts the 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 development of, of what could save our lives in the future right so we believe in science in certain aspects so why are we afraid of filling the other gaps in our lives with god with with science why why is it such a there's why is there such enmity between science and, and God? And the answer to that is this. It's fear. We are afraid that the more science starts to creep into our lives, that the more God gets pushed out of our lives. Isn't that true? That when we, we're like, well, you know, up until now, my greatest argument with my friends that God exists is that God is the one that made certain things happen and now is scientifically explainable. Well, let me tell you this, okay, because I think we all need to know this. If everything were explained, it would not explain away God. It will not. It's actually the opposite of that. It's the opposite of that because we tend to find God in the mystery, right? But I want to say the opposite is also true, maybe even more true, which is this. It's the explainable things that points to an amazing God. I'll give you an example. So my cell phone. If I were to tear it apart, which I would never do because I love my phone, okay, you were tear it apart, you'll take away the screens, you look at the little chips in there, and you look at the battery, and you look at all these things in there, and you start dissecting it, and you could explain everything in there. Oh, this came from here, this came from there, this is the technology that's built by this person, right? As you look at everything, and as you explain everything away, it does not explain away the manufacturer of that phone. As a matter of fact, you look at that and say, wow, look at what Apple was able to do with all these parts come together. This is amazing. Look at this technology. And so what we do by being able to explain everything is that we point to the one who created it all and say, wow, God is amazing. As a doctor start looking into your body and saying like, wow, look at this organ. Did you know this thing functions one way? Did you know it changes just so that, you know, it could help the human survive? Isn't that amazing? And the more we understand more about the human body, the more we're able to say, isn't God Great not God versus science, you know. That's not the whole point of this. The whole point is the more we understand creation, the more we understand the creator. So if you put your faith in a gap God, if that's the foundation of your faith, and science started creeping into your life because you started going to school or you started talk, having conversations or started reading books, you started watching uh, the Discovery Channel. I don't know what channel you write, no, but you, as you started reading and stuff like that, you're like, there's no more room for God in my life. No, that's not true. The more you understand how the world works, the more you should see God in a glorious way. This, this versus idea, it's either God or science, does not exist. And if that's what you believe, it's time that we let go of that and move to Faith 2.0. Uh, Sam Harris is another atheist I brought up last week. This is what he says. We must pay attention to the frontiers of our ignorance because that is where new things are discovered. What Sam Harris is saying is here is this. If there is a gap in your life, like I can't explain this one thing, a gap in your life is not evidence that God exists. It's evidence that you're ignorant. <laughs> that's, I know he's not nice with words, but that's what he's saying, right? He's saying if there's something that you can't explain in life, you can't just fill it with God and say, here's proof that God exists. It's proof that we have a lot more studying to do. It's proof that we need to look deeper into it until we find an answer. And I agree with him on this too. What he's saying here is that science is a good thing. And as Christians, we should say, yes, I agree with you. I believe that science is a good thing. I'm glad that we have medicine. I'm glad that we have technology. I, I, I'm glad I have a car. I'm glad that we can fly in an airplane. I'm glad that we have all this stuff thanks to science. But I don't know if you know this, and this is, this is something that I came across in my studies that just blew my mind, okay? But did you know where modern science began? You see, and a long, long time ago where people believe there is the Parthenon of gods, that there are all these different gods, and that everything that happened in this world was based on the emotional moods of these gods, like, why is there thunder? Because the god of thunder was angry today. Or, why was there a flood? Because Poseidon felt like he was, uh, he was jealous or something, so, he, you know, right? That there was no constant in the world. Everything happened because of the whims of these gods. But Christians showed up on the scene and said this. He, they said this. The first thing is this, that God created the world, and then he stopped on the seventh day. He rested. And because he stopped creating, right, that means that everything in this world is predictable, explainable, uh, stable, and explainable. So, and, and from that came the idea that Christians launched the modern science movement. They said, hey, because the world isn't based off of the whims and the moods of God, it's basically what God created. He just said, and he let it go, and he said, okay, now world, do what you want with it. He's, so these, these Christians say, wait a minute, if we were to really believe that God created a world to be constant and, and, and observable, you know, and that's predictable, if that's the case, then that means that we should be able to start charting down like when we see the moon or when, we, when the tides come in or, you know, it, and that tomorrow if we were to do the same experiments, that the results should be the same. And if it's not, that there's a pattern that we should be able to figure out from all this. Modern science was launched by the Christian movement. A long time ago, science and Christianity were not opposed to each other. They propelled each other forward. And I don't know what time, I don't know who taught us this, but science is not the enemy of Christianity. And if it was, it's time that we move on and we mature from that understanding of God. That a gap God does not exist. It's not in the Bible. Somebody somewhere taught us this, and we just kind of stayed there. You know, what's really interesting is when I talk to people who've turned their back on God, I ask them, like, well, what was the reason? Tell me your story. And they usually tell me things like, well, I don't believe in a God that's homophobic. Or I don't believe in a God that will allow so and so to die. Uh, I don't believe in a God that will let a bunch of Jewish people die in a concentration camp. I don't believe in a God that would do that. And when I listen to that, and I'm like, yeah, you know what's really interesting? Um, and then my often response is this. Yeah, I don't believe in that God either. I mean, if you call yourself an atheist for not believing in those gods, then I guess sign me up for the same list because I don't believe in that God either. But I do believe in a different God. And that God we're going to talk about in about two weeks. So you should come back for that because I'm not going to tell you who that God is yet. <laughs> right? I know, this is like one long sermon. Like I said, broken broke up into different parts. Okay? But maybe it's time that we start saying that too. That when we look at this list, When it says, I don't believe in a good for good God, genie God, goosebumps God, guilt God, gap God, it's that we look at this and say, yeah, you know what? I don't think I believe in that either. And if you do, it's time that we move on from it. And if you left Christianity for any of these reasons, maybe you left Christianity needlessly. That instead of walking towards atheism, maybe we should have been walking towards a deeper understanding of who God is. Because the gods that you see on this list right here, They're easy to outgrow. You just read one book and then you're like, oh, I don't believe in God anymore. It's time that we mature our understanding of God. So the question I have for you is this. Where did you, your view of God that you struggle to believe, originate? Where did it come from? And I guarantee you it's one of two things. One, you learned in Sunday school. Two, you learned it from somebody like an adult or somebody that's older, who also learned it in Sunday school, but that person never matured their faith. Because these gods that we just talked about today does not exist. And if you left church, you left your faith because of this, maybe you left needlessly. And like I said, this is totally our fault. We should have been teaching you something that's deeper. But you're like, well, cause why don't we teach the right version of God to the kids in Sunday school? Because they're going to go through the same thing, right? <laughs> well, let me ask you this. If a five-year-old came up to you and said, where do babies come from, how do you answer that? If a 15-year-old came up to you and asked you the same questions, where do babies come from? First, you say, well, you should learn that in school. That's not my job. That's the school's <laughs> job to teach you this. But if you really need to know, I will teach you, right? Or what about a pre-med student? Where do babies come from? The way you explain to these different groups of people has to be satisfactory and accommodated for the people and to the capacity of their knowledge, that they're able to understand certain things. And so when I talk to my son about where babies come from, which I haven't talked to him about, maybe my wife would do that for me one day. <laughs> we'll talk about it later, okay? Right, right. That, okay. <laughs> my son thought that you know every baby that comes our way, we get a choice. So he's like, I guess we'll keep my sister. And I'm like, okay. Okay, anyways. Um, The way I'm going to explain where babies come from for my kid is going to be very simplistic. It's going to be in terms that they understand. I might even use illustrations from the cartoons that he enjoys watching. Fifteen-year-old, I could use a little bigger language. I could be more graphic with certain things, but when when I talk to pre-meds, which I have nothing to teach pre-meds, it will probably be using bigger words with some, you know, concepts that even I don't understand, right? But the idea here is it is our job to make sure that, that the lesson that they learned is accommodating to their capacity. But the thing is we've outgrown our capacity we're older now we're able to understand more but our understanding of god hasn't changed and that's why we need to 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 change everything now <laughs> okay so what i want you to understand from all this is this one point okay because i want you to understand this one point that we did not create god in our image but god created us in his image you see a lot of times when we think about like the goosebumps god We tend to relate it back to maybe a relationship we had. It's like, you know, me and my girlfriend, me and my boyfriend, me and my wife, me and my, you know, fiance, whoever it is, right? You know, like when I, I like to feel him or her around me at all times. And now you think, so that's how God should be also. We tend to take our own understanding of our relationships and we throw it on God and we expect him to operate in the same box that we operate in. But the truth is, if we read the scriptures, what we discover is it's the opposite, that we don't create God in our image. God is the one that created us in his image. So where did your understanding of God come from? Has those understandings of God let you down? Have you been trying to play this, this mind gymnastics so that you could convince yourself somehow that this God is still real? But if you're at that place where you're like, you know what, I can't lie to myself anymore. I can't believe in a good for good God because bad things are happening to good people and I can't turn a blind eye to this. You know, like I, I just can't anymore. Or, or I believe in this, uh, you know, like I, I always thought it was God versus science and, and it seems like right now science is winning so maybe it's time that I turn my back on God. It's easy to outgrow these fake gods that we created for ourselves. But now it's time that we say, no, that was when I was young. Now I want to believe in something bigger. And when we think about what's bigger, God is always bigger than we could expect him to be. He will always accommodate for the size of capacity that we have. So next week, we're going to talk about the Bible. That if some of you guys walked away from your faith because you can't believe in some of the stories in the Bible, I'll be sure to offend you next week. (laughs) It'll be uncomfortable. But I think it's necessary for us to mature in our faith. Amen? All right, let me pray for all of us.